0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Daily Beacon's Politics Podcast. I am your host, Jared Nelson. I've got our usual crew around me for the first time in God, probably three weeks, um, which has been mostly my fault since I've been out of town every week. Um, Okay, so we're going to do quick introductions. We have Emma Hines, who writes Environmental on Thursday. Hi everyone. Just the hi? Yep, that's it. Okay. Owen Flomberg, who writes Living the Dream on Tuesdays. How's it going? Uh, it's, it's not bad. How about you? Yeah, I'm just living the dream. There it is. <laughs> Alright, the episode has started now, and we are we're good to go. Uh, Zach Osborne, who writes Lana Order on Thursdays. That's Thursdays. Thursdays. That yeah, that's it. What's going on, Zach? I'm not living the dream. You're not living <laughs> no. the dream? What's going on with that, then? I'm what, a what's the in college. That's fair. So, yeah, that's pretty something for me. Yeah. And... Last but not least, Cindy Tyndall writes, from my perspective, on Fridays. What's up?
1: I can one-up you I've got grad school problems, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to have law
0: school problems in, like, a year, so... Just
1: got about four projects due in, like, a week and a half, and like two weeks-ish, just trying to get it all together, and it's a lot.
0: That sounds brutal. I have three <laughs> assignments left until I graduate, everybody. Must be nice. It's awesome. Anywho, today we're talking about the mother of all topics, the white whale, the thing that CNN enjoys talking about more than just about anything. And no, it's not the P tape. It's Stormy co- Daniels? And it's not, well, it's kind of Stormy Daniels. It's <laughs> yeah. corruption. So as we have seen in the last couple of weeks, honestly, probably since the start of the administration, charges of corruption, whether they be financial, political, anything have been leveled against both President Trump and the administration. Most recently, this has conflated into two very publicized stories, although one has recently fallen out of the news, and we might talk about why that is. Um, And it might be just because of the other one. And those are the cases of Scott Pruitt, who is the current head of the EPA, head administrator there, um, and Michael Cohen, who is the president's personal lawyer. Um, We're going to start with Scott Pruitt first, because I think it's interesting and kind of emblematic of the larger issue here. So if you're unaware, Scott Pruitt, who is the head of the EPA, um, has had some issues in the news, to say the least. Um, It was, I think, Politico reported that he had been staying in an oil lobbyist or coal lobbyist's home for $50 a night in D.C. while he lived in D.C. He's the former Attorney General of Oklahoma and flies back to Oklahoma quite often, which is the charge of the other thing, which is that he's been charging first-class to the government dine every time he flies home to Oklahoma, which is quite a lot. Uh, Interestingly, he hasn't flown first class any time that he's had to pay out of his own pocket for this. His justification for this is that he needs the first class space for his security detail, which consists of over 20 people for the EPA administrator. Um, And going along with that security, he's installed a private phone booth in his office for $43,000. He's put bulletproof glass in his office, um, and all the windows, um, essentially walling himself off from the rest of the EPA, um, and just been charging these kind of exorbitant rates to basically any like government bill he can find. Um, outside of that, he also approved pay raises for two A's that worked with him in Oklahoma, who now work at the EPA, and these aren't just like Regular raises. These are raises upwards of $20,000. He did not get approval for these raises. He used a very obscure portion of the 1973 Clean Water Act, I believe, that essentially allows the EPA to sign on consultants without administration approval for a specific amount of time. So he initially tried to get these people their raises the normal way. They said, no, you can't pay them this much. And then he fired them and then rehired them as these consultants with the higher pay, which looks a little bit sketchy, to say the least. Um, So basically what I want to talk about here is that we've seen people, whether it's Ben Carson's $23,000, $31,000 desk, um, Tom Price uh, charging exorbitant amounts of money to fly around the country, the former head of of HHS. Um and we've seen this kind of thing happening a lot and we've seen charges of corruption leveled and I'm just kind of curious for a couple of perspectives on why this seems to be happening more often than it has with anyone else like these are low relatively low level cabinet members um doing this type of thing for really ancillary reasons and I was curious why we think that is and both the legal implications of this, whether it's like totally legal and how you get rid of a cabinet secretary. Um, So I'm going to start with Zach here. Uh, Zach, what do you think... Do you think this is emblematic of a larger culture?
2: So the burden on our current legislature is that they exist as a check on the executive. When the executive gets out of control... They either pass regulations that say that they can't act in a certain way, or they use committees and task forces to start investigations, do whatever they need to do to keep their spending in check. Um, What has happened instead is that they have turned a blind eye to it, and I think that this is... I have a theory about this. As long as they're not doing anything egregiously criminal, It is just attention seeking enough to pull the public's eye away from whatever might be happening as far as like policy decisions are concerned within Congress. Congress's approval rating right now is like 14%, maybe lower. (laughs) Um, And the Trump administration's agenda as a whole isn't really being enacted like they want it to. Um, It's not, I mean, it's not been smooth. to mm-hmm. So I think that this is kind of an example of maybe trying to scapegoat something that's not necessarily consequential, but is kind of visible enough to pull attention away so that they can say, hey, well, you know, at least we're not doing this. So you see it as
0: a congressional
2: thing? Absolutely. You think that it's an intentional decision by to congressional To turn, turn a blind eye to their actions, absolutely. I mean, okay. it seems... Especially with the way that uh, the public is related to, or has uh, reacted to, say, like the tax cuts or the failure uh, to pass health care reform, they need a win, and any way that they can push pressure off themselves is, you
3: know,
0: interesting. Close. Sydney, what do you think about that?
1: I agree. I think that Congress is kind of turning a blind eye in a way, and I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Scott Pruitt is giving them what they want as far as policy. Um, it's no secret, and Emma, you can talk more about this since mm-hmm. you're the environmental right there. It's really not a secret. They don't really value the scientific findings of climate change. They want to go back to coal as, a, as an energy source, which is just ridiculously stupid, and it doesn't make any sense to me, but that's, that's what they want. Um, and I, as far as I know, he's, um, he's decreased funding for the EPA in a lot of areas, which is what, another area where they think that we're spending too much. So I think that they're in not only with environmental things, but I think in a lot of in a lot of different areas you see that when you give Republicans what they want as far as policy, the shady dealings of whoever's in charge kind of go unnoticed or they turn a blind eye to it. But yes, um, I, I totally agree with Zach that when you give them what they want, they just kind of turn a blind eye to corruption. So-
0: what has, Emma, Scott, what has Scott Pruitt exactly been doing at EPA that would make him such a valuable figure to survive this? Because what we've seen is in the instances of a lot of these corrupt figures I'm going to use corrupt loosely here but figures that have encountered these like PR scandals a lot of them have resigned um, or been fired. David Shulkin who is the head of the um, Veterans Affairs Office came under some scrutiny for spending there on himself and his wife. And he's gone now. Tom Price who is the head of Health and Human Services was spending lavishly on plane rides across the country, exactly the same things Scott Pruitt has been doing, and was fired there, but notably was fired after the healthcare care bill failed. Um, so the one thing that he was supposed to shepherd through didn't happen. Um, and, you know, same with Shulkin. The, the VA has, you know, come under the similar type of fire, and he's gone now. And so what has Scott Pruitt been doing at the EPA that allows him to kind of weather the storm?
4: Well, that's a very good question, and I think the answer is simpler than we like to think it is, but it's because he's not doing anything. Okay. I think for the other cabinet members, like you said, there's something that they've been doing that kind of is like the point of when they get fired. Like, yes, the spending is bad, but then they get fired because of something else, but I don't think Scott Pruitt has done anything crazy enough to get to that point. I think he's doing absolutely nothing. This is personal opinion, but... He's also not qualified for the job, which is kind of my little tangent. He has zero environmental experience. He is, doesn't care at all. He's outwardly said that he doesn't believe in climate change, which is pretty bogus, honestly. But I think because he's not doing anything, he can't get in trouble for anything big. Mm-hmm. So there
1: hasn't been like a red flag, kind of a policy move that he's. Didn't butchered. he? Sorry to interrupt you, but didn't he before he was given the position? Didn't he like have a record of suing the EPA? Yes, does. Yes. And yep. uh. Yeah, like he he wanted to destroy it. He didn't think that it mm-hmm. even needed to be a government entity anymore. So okay. you think that just
0: his like level of so like clearly the Trump administration by picking Scott Pruitt wanted to send a message about what they think about the EPA, which Scott Pruitt's whole thing with EPA is that they're overreaching, they overregulate mm-hmm. um, a lot of the stuff that they believe is bogus, not true. Um, so you think that just his inaction in the agency and his abil- his like willingness to just not enforce a lot of what the agency does is an asset in and of itself.
4: Correct. I mean, if you look at the former head of the EPA, her name was Gina McCarthy. She was the assistant administrator for the EPA for, I think, four or five years. And before that, she worked for the Connecticut version of the EPA, like lifelong environmental activist kind of a person. And then you get Scott Pruitt, who has never had anything to do in the environment besides suing the EPA. So I think that was a very, very clear choice.
0: He's the previous attorney general of Oklahoma Yeah, um, and had sued them with regards to a lot of oil fracking. Right regulations and stuff like that. Um, That's interesting. Um, So, Owen, I want to ask you, what do you think this says about the larger culture of the... Do you think that this has implications for the larger culture of the administration? Or are these just isolated bad actors within it?
3: That's a good question. Um, I, I, I think that President Trump is the all-time pro of weathering storms. <laughs> he really is. You, you know, you talk about, like, oh, they need to put their head down, you know, these various mm-hmm. secretaries and whatnot, put their head down and weather storms and whatnot. I think he's the pro. And we saw this, especially through the election season, is every, you know, a subjectively, I guess, crazy thing that uh, he did throughout the election season, the pundits would all come out and say, this is what will end, mm-hmm. we'll end up, this is what will we'll end up, this is what will end up. And even things that he's done during his administration, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what we'll end up, this is what will end up. And we just haven't seen any sort of final blow. And I I do firmly believe that there was a lot of corruption Mm -hmm. uh, during the campaign season and during this administration. But like I said, it just seems like nothing really sticks. And I think... Because he's an artist in that sense, and I think this administration—it it, it takes a, its an art form. It really is, is <laughs> being able to divert attention mm-hmm. from what really matters. And I, I think that uh, President Trump and his administration, uh, with, with his corruption and everything, has played the media like a fiddle since the day he said that he was going to run. I
1: guess you could say uh, he makes the best deals.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: so much winning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right
1: with the distractions. Too, a lot of people think that. Uh, bombing Syria was a distraction from the Cohen raid because that happened around the
0: yeah. same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much he thinks through personally the decisions. I think that I think that the the, the Occam's razor with with most people and with, or at least with President Trump, based on past behavior, is very impulsive. Yeah. Um, and kind of makes decisions on the fly and how things feel in the moment. And granted, that does lead, I think, almost as a byproduct, maybe, as a sense of distraction. Yeah. Um, and so, do you think that, like, essentially them observing his ability and the way that the news cycle has worked around the administration, essentially, a lot of these people, these secretaries doing these things, feel a little bit less pressure, less accountability because they know, oh, in a week it's gonna blow over or it won't be a thing.
3: Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I don't think people give uh, Trump enough credit, and I, he, I think tries to create this image that he is not, you know, a mastermind or anything like that. But I really do think that he, like you kind of alluded to it while you were talking there, is that he's just, these are impulsive (laughs) decisions and the way the news cycle works, it just kind of works together. I really do think that he consciously, or someone at least consciously, works to distract the media in a way because it's it's very easy, I feel like, to control it in a soft way. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. Uh, th- that's kind of just how I see it all, is if they do something egregious, all they have to do is, you know, create another problem or create a distraction, mm-hmm. and I think it hasn't been... There's been just so much going on, it's, you know, not hard for something like that to happen. Yeah. And of course, speaking of things that are
0: going on, I think that probably the reason that Scott Ru hasn't been fired both, which I, I lend credence to all of your theories, both that he's a useful person at the EPA, more useful than yeah. Tom Price was at HSS maybe, and all of these things, but I do think a large portion is that he's been out of the media now for about probably five days, which in our new cycle, as someone said, is a lifetime. Yeah. Um, and that's largely because of the fact that Michael Cohen's law office was raided. Mm-hmm. So this kind of ties in more personally to the president than Scott Pruitt is. So we've kind of gone through like, what may be the way that the president operates lends, like the allowance that gives certain cabinet members to do things a little bit loosely, to put it lightly, uh, more loosely than other past administrations have done. Um, but as we get into the more personal side of how President Trump operates and things directly within his inner, inner circle, Michael Cohen, I think is kind of emblematic of that. Um, so if you're unaware, Michael Cohen is Trump's personal lawyer. Um, he has, I think, served the Trump Organization for over 15 years at this point, um, was with him, has been with him all the way, basically, like, original diehard Trump guy. Um, he only has three clients. Those three clients are, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, are President Trump, the Trump Organization, and funny enough, Fox News Television commentator Sean Hannity, um, We can get into that a little bit later. I can't wait. But Michael Cohen, uh, in a not unprecedented but very surprising move, had his law office raided. Um, This caused kind of a, I will go ahead and just call it a blow-up from the president on on Twitter and in other statements um, declaring attorney-client privilege dead, these types of things. Now, what that means is if you're unaware communications between an attorney and their client are privileged. They can't be looked at by law enforcement um, willy-nilly. You can't just like get a warrant for those, really. What you have to do is you have to have credible evidence um, and high probability that these communications contain either the, like them committing a crime or the people in the communications planning to commit a crime. So it's a very high evidence threshold you have to present. You have to go before a special judge um, and get approval for this type of thing to later rate a law office. So it's a big deal. Um, Now, what's been said about Cohen largely is that this might not have to do with um, President Trump and the Russia stuff or whatever else you want to call it, but his personal finances. Um, But I think it's interesting that someone that's been with Trump for so long... Um, isn't that it, that's now media under scrutiny? Is all of a sudden having their law office raided? Um, and that's a big step forward. So, I want to at least, I think I want to ask Zach, at least at first, what you think are the potential fallouts from something like this, based on what we know? So, as you mentioned before, there is
2: uh, there's an exemption to the rule of attorney client privilege, mm-hmm. it's called the crime fraud exemption. And, um, basically, the exemption says that it only covers the motive of the client. Mm -hmm. If the client is either seeking or conspiring to commit fraud or a crime, Um, what enables them, or why this is so scary and why I think it has really far-reaching ramifications is the way that these warrants are carried out. You're not going to know what you're looking for beforehand, so you have to get everything and then you have an unrelated filter team, or whatever you would call them, who don't have any connection to the investigation, go through and pick out the relevant information. Why I think this is especially concerning to those persons involved, whether that's Cohen, whether that's Hannity, whether that's President Trump, or the Trump administration, who's had issues with this in the past, is that when they're going through that information, the only thing that keeps that investigation team from disclosing information not related to the case is their honor and the possible burden of criminal charges being levied against them. Nothing else. So currently, uh, Mueller's team, the investigatory team who went in and... I do believe, actually...
0: The, the, it was the Southern District of New York's att- yeah, U.S. Attorney's Office that led the raid, right. right. so they're probably the people looking at it. They have
2: everything. Mm-hmm. They have everything. that So that includes, and this is like, there's a lot of information that attorneys take down within these meetings. That could be just correspondence. That could be notes on like potential suits that he wants to seek in the future. That could be contingencies to potential suits or Strategies, you know, if we get sued, you know, if this Stormy Daniels thing starts to cascade a little bit too quickly, this is how we're going to approach it. We're going to try to get it thrown out. We're going to do X, Y, Z. We're going to offer, you know, this, this, and this. We have three or four other Playboy stars, whatever, that are <laughs> starting to come to the table. How do we, um, how do we react if that becomes a class mm-hmm. action? Um, especially in these meetings, I think the the most salient. I'm gonna before I become too long-winded. I think the most salient piece of information is correspondence. If I go and speak to my attorney and they're like, hey, you were arrested for say, I don't know, it's 420, marijuana possession. <laughs> <laughs> I Maybe I told the cops, no, it's not on me. That's someone else's. I'm going to tell my attorney that is mine. Because it helps them craft their case. You have to be honest with your attorney. Yeah. So if Cohen, which if he's a good lawyer, is keeping notes of that correspondence that you can refer to later. Mm-hmm. He's going to have something like that. And whether or not something like that comes out and it's especially damning, or if you know I, something is leaked, I think that yes. therein lies the potential for this to be especially harmful to the interests of Trump, the Trump Organization, and Sean Hannity.
0: Yes. <laughs> Um, The Sean Hannity thing is particularly interesting to me for a variety of reasons. Um, If you don't know, Sean Hannity hosts a 9 p.m. show on Fox News every night um, in the weekdays, um, and he is, to to put it lightly, a a Trump supporter. Um, The show recently has focused on, um, I would argue conspiratorial, but you can view it one way or the other, um, attacks on the special counsel investigation, um, calling, like, saying that there's a Mueller crime family, things like this, um, and he's also interviewed Michael Cohen numerous times on his show, and never disclosed that that was his lawyer that he was interviewing. Um, so that's a whole other issue with journalistic ethics, if you ask, if you were to ask me, at least, as somebody that works for a paper, I can't have somebody on here that, you know, is my lawyer and like interview them as it's, you know, looking for facts or like you know just as a commentator and not disclose. Hey, I have a very close personal relationship with this person and they you know know all of my dark secrets and represent me in court. Like that's a little bit weird to say the least. And it's especially weird that it's John Hannity who is somebody that um, reportedly talks to the president on a semi-regular basis um, on the phone or however. Um, It's been reported in the New York Times a couple times that Trump will just call him, or he'll call him, and they'll talk about how things are going or whatnot. Um, And so that's really interesting, but I think the thing that Cohen has, and that they're focusing it on most, at least when they talk about Cohen's personal finances and financial issues, might be this Stormy Daniels payment. Um, So if you're unaware, Michael Cohen, beyond being Trump's personal lawyer, is also the deputy head of finance for the RNC. Um, that's a committee that's or the, the finance part of the RNC is also was headed by Steve Wynn who was um, resigned over sexual harassment allegations recently um, but essentially at some point during the election um, Michael Cohen paid Stormy Daniels who uh, has said that she had an affair with President Trump right after his youngest son was born um, $130,000 of hush money to be quiet about the affair. Um, This was, I believe, in October of 2016, so like, right in the heat of the election. Um, The funny thing is, of course, is that um, she was paid this money to sign an NDA agreement, a non-disclosure agreement, to never talk about it, but the president never signed the agreement, and so her lawyers have argued that it is non-binding. Michael Cohen has said that President Trump didn't know about this payment, which would mean that he entered into an agreement on his client's behalf without consulting his client, which don't even get me started on the bad practices that that implies about being an attorney. Um, But if communication shows that President Trump didn't know about this payment, didn't, whatever, it either gets Michael Cohen in a whole heaping legal trouble for doing this without his client's permission, or it could be that they could both be in trouble for some sort of campaign finance violation. Um, if the funds were used, if the funds used, the one hundred thirty thousand dollars were um, taken from the Trump campaign, that's a campaign finance violation. If anybody remembers John Edwards in this room, you know who John John Edwards is. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Edwards had a was a South Carolina Democrat, pretty popular rising star back in two thousand and eight ish. Ran for president a couple times. John um,
1: Kerry's um, running mate when he ran. Yes, back. he was John He's Kerry's Bush. running mate in yeah. two thousand
0: and four. Uh, he was kind of a dem rising star and then it comes out that he uh, had a secret love child with this woman um, and not only that but paid her and a lot of the baby's expenses and things like that with campaign funds which is illegal Uh, and so that kind of ended his political career and I've seen a lot of comparisons to that um so I think that what we're going to see from Cohen is going to be interesting depending on what comes out of that and the crime fraud provision um But as a final little least note on this, I'm kind of curious, it seems like things are ramping up and, you know, could be wrong, Um, getting a little bit faster speed wise in terms of the revelations that are happening. Um, I wanna know if you agree with that, if you feel like we're reaching some sort of peak or if it's just business as usual um, and how you see this whole thing, like with all of these corruption things ending. Do you see it ending in some sort of legal action? Do Do you see it just kind of going away? um What is pol- basically? I'm asking you to say what politics is going to look like for the next two years, <laughs> which is a large question. Oh um, it's going to
1: depend on a lot of factors. Yeah, is what I would say. Um, yes. So I want to say that this is it. That this is the smoking gun. But I've said it like five times now, and it just seems like nothing will actually be that smoking gun. I, as far as the payments go, I know that in the um, In the raid, they also found some settlement information from Karen McDougal, who was another Playboy playmate that Trump slept with and might have paid off as well. So there's that. And I think her NDA is also invalid now, too. So she's free to talk about that.
0: Well, what actually happened with her, because I know what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. she signed an agreement with the National Enquirer um, to buy her story, essentially, and then she takes out an NDA on it. So they get exclusive rights to the story, but they never published it. Mm -hmm. So they essentially bought the story to kill it, um, which um, the head of the National Enquirer has, I cannot remember his name right now, but he has a long relationship of doing this for President Trump. They know each other back back in the 80s and 90s, tabloid days. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. And that, um, I think, is going to come out of it, too. Mm -hmm. Maybe just more information about that. The Stormy Daniels thing. I don't know if we could maybe figure out the threaten the threatening part of that story within what was found in my in Cohen's mm-hmm. office or not. Um, with Trump's personal finances, I think that there would be a lot there. I I think that his like money and maybe the money within like the Trump organization is how you find any sort of. Entanglement with Russia or any kind of sort of fraudulent or corrupt business deal. He's done. I say follow the money (laughs) For Mm -hmm. Robert Mueller just like my advice to him would be follow the money Yeah, there's a reason he didn't want to release his tax returns There's a reason he doesn't have full financial transparency, and I think that's it but as far as are we gonna get justice? I don't know that's really it's it's if There is probable like proof of a crime that comes out I think the Republicans are gonna have to make a choice about do you want to keep this really corrupt man in or do you want to try to impeach him or are you just gonna let it slide because he's a Republican and you're getting what you want as far as policy and wait till the Democrats hopefully please God take back the House and the Senate in the midterms. So it depends.
0: Is okay. <laughs> that what do you think? Do right, you want to go on that?
4: Sure. Yeah. I was just gonna kinda of build off of that, similar to what you were saying, I feel like In terms of what I think politics is going to be like, honestly, I have no idea anymore because I would have thought that it all had, like, would have changed in 2016. I mean, there were different points throughout the campaign trail. Like, Owen was saying, this is what's going to end him. Like, this is the end. This is the last straw before he gets impeached, or Republicans finally turn their back on him. But it hasn't happened yet, and it's honestly baffling that the conservative party is even, like, they're the traditional conservative Christian family values kind
1: of thing, and they're like, Law oh, and order, yeah. law and it, order. Exactly. That only applies if you um, are an illegal immigrant or you're a black person getting shot by the police. That's what I'm that's hearing what they, nowadays, That's when they say but, it. If when you're when you're white and you commit fraud and you don't pay your taxes, it's fine. It's fine, yeah.
4: But if someone had told me three years ago that the President of the United States would be sleeping with a porn star and paying her off and Republicans wouldn't care, I would honestly probably fall over dead, because that is something that I would never <laughs> predict. So who knows? Maybe it's going to get crazier. I have no idea, because
0: it's all kind of gone to hell from here, so... Do you think that the... the co- Hello? I'm just going to edit it back in. Anyway. Um, but do you think, so with the Cohen raid and stuff, and I like this this like way of thinking about it from a like historical framing perspective, um, is this something that when you read the, and I, I'm getting this from somewhere else, but when you read the two-page history of the Trump presidency in your history book in 50 years, is the Cohen raid, is that going to be something that's mentioned?
1: Like the beginning of the end. Like do you think that that's going to
0: be <laughs> written down or do you think that that's just kind of going to get lost in the... Them, whatever happens in the next two to three years?
4: That is a really good question. Um, I think it depends on what comes out of it. If they find incredibly damning evidence or anything like that, then yeah, I think they're going to say that this is the beginning of the end. But if it's evidence that's no less controversial than everything that has happened so far in this administration, then I think it's going to get lost.
3: Okay. Owen, what about you? So you're familiar with the story of Al Capone yeah, and how you know, so he, he was a mafia guy and involved in, you know, the various gangs and everything. And the old, like, the feds were always after after him and everyone was always trying to catch him. And, like, because everyone knew he was doing illegal things, but no one could actually get proof. I feel like th- it's kind of similar, and I think we can learn a little bit from that moment. Because when they finally got him, it was on, like, tax evasion or something like that. You know, it, it seemed like a very minor thing and not you know, the big crime or the big corruption that he was really involved with, but that's what they got him on. And I think that this whole raid has the potential of maybe finding that little thing that it's kind of like you really can't refu- refute it at all. It's actually damning. Even though there's been all these much larger claims and these much larger kind of uh, instances of, you know, pretty blatant corruption but not enough proof for it to get anywhere. So maybe this will be, you know, you know, have some sort of evidence or something that will actually like be the last nail in the coffin, but I, I don't know. I, it kind of reminds me a lot of that, because we see so much corruption, or what looks like corruption, with Trump and with this administration, but it's just nothing has been solidified, mm-hmm. like, proven at all.
0: Zach?
2: I've sat here for like three minutes trying to figure out how I'm gonna answer this question. (laughs) And I think I'm gonna do it by promulgating a conspiracy theory. Oh boy. (laughs) Yay. Well, so I think this one's legitimate. So I think that nothing happens. I think that we see a lot of sound bites and we see Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, we see maybe some phrases from uh, from their correspondence that's like, yeah. That, that does it. Mm-hmm. And for anybody else, that would do it. For him, it doesn't. And what it's going to do is it's going to embolden him. He's going to be like, if I can get away with this, I can get away with anything. And the, the thing that I think is going to be the downfall of Trump, the Trump administration, however you want to phrase it, is he is going to recognize that his true power lies not in the policy that he makes and like his that's what people are afraid of is he's going to make standing policy changes that are going to last for the next three four five six decades that are going to irreparably damage our democracy i don't worry about that as much as i do him realizing that his true power in the immediate is that he can manipulate our economy and he can manipulate markets depending on how pissy he gets on twitter so we saw this when he lashed out against Amazon. Mm-hmm. Their stock dropped four percent. No other indicator. Mm-hmm. So what I think is going to happen is he's going to start to play with that a bit because up until now it's just been damage. So now he's going to start to look at that and say, how can I help my friends? How can I, you know, how can I help uh, my campaign financiers? Mm-hmm. And then, I, so I think the eventual end is we start to see some form of like economic or securities fraud that is directly related to his policy decisions. It is pure conjecture. But that being said, I feel like that it is an eventuality that is big enough on everyone's radar. Because when you start screwing with people's money, that's really when they get mad.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, Unless
2: you're hurting me physically, the next thing that I care about is money. Because it ensures security, safety, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think Congress draws the line. Because without mm-hmm. their without their involvement, he can just keep doing this. Yeah,
0: stuff. and that would be my, my my last point. Would be that um, I think that answering that question and it is it is it is kind of unfair um, because I think that so much of it depends on what Congress looks like in two years. Um, I think that if you if you like. Have the current Congress or some form of it, a Republican-controlled Congress, they've shown a willingness, like we discussed with Scott Pruitt, to kind of let a lot of the more rigorous stuff, like their rigorous uh, checks, slide if they're getting policy outcomes that they enjoy, like Emma talked about of what he's doing. And I think that's largely true for true for Trump too. Like if they're just if they're kind of getting things that they want, they're willing to let some things slide. Um, but I think that if Democrats take back the House in twenty eighteen. I think that that whole thing gets flipped on its head and you start seeing um the judiciary committee um, special investigations just the full bore of the u.s congress essentially dedicated to ripping him apart whether that's in preparation for impeachment or in preparation for a 2020 election um and it could really i mean it might behoove them to wait till 2020 like impeachment's a long messy difficult process um, it's never worked in the history of this country. It's been we've been around for over two hundred, like about two hundred fifty years, and it's never ever worked. So um, I, I think that they're going to make that calculation if they were to win power. But I think that if they don't win power, I think that you're going to largely see um, maybe a more emboldened Trump, but I think that you're also going to see a Trump that gets a little bit more bored with a lot of what he's doing as the presidency stretches on. And I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it looks like him being on Twitter more, which I think is hard to imagine for some people. Um, or maybe it looks like him just not being on Twitter, not doing really doing much. But I think that that's kind of where this goes, depending on how 2018 turns out. But um, that's where we'll leave it. Um, thank you all for listening in. Does anybody have any parting words? Any final greetings? Just silence. This
4: crap's Thanks. exhausting. And it is. <laughs> anyway, we're wrapping up. We're
0: good in there. Um, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Yeah. Be nice to one another. Final <laughs> advice: Do the right thing. Be nice to people.
3: Corruption is just a construct. Corruption is a construct.
0: <laughs> Zach. Oh, that's
2: that's it's it's currently four twenty seven on a
0: Friday. Oh, you just dated us, boy. We,
1: we missed four twenty on
0: four twenty. We just. Oh well. No, no, <laughs> I'm done. Get <laughs> <You can't> to <hot laughs> studio, sadly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my uh, god, are you going to put that on there? Yeah, it's standing. Okay. <laughs> Sydney? Uh,
1: I, don't, I don't know. Have a good weekend,
0: everyone. Yeah. <laughs> good luck with finals. That's all I got, too. It's been okay. a ride. And Adam has, just had in the dream. Nope, that's not my thing. <laughs> okay. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you all for listening. I am we'll the you. dream. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs>